Greetings and salutations and welcome to the Trash Fire of Talk podcast with your host, Skits M. Jones. I am that host, Skits M. Jones. Uh, first and foremost, all right, Game of Microphones canceled this week due to a plumbing issue at the Comedy Shrine. Comedy Shrine uh, shares bathrooms with the gym that is next door, and apparently someone flushed paper towels down the toilet and fucked up all the pipes. So, uh, Comedy Shrine is closed until the weekend. Uh, no Game of Microphones this week, but it will be back next week. Speaking of next week, Monday, October 7th, I will be at So Emo at Elixir Andersonville in Chicago. And then Thursday, October 10th, I will be returning to Ashbury Improv at the Ashbury Coffee House in Willow Springs. Then, looking forward even further, Wednesday, October 16th, Uncouth is back in action, and we will be debuting at The Owl with uh, Dust Bath and Cortage. And that's going to be a fantastic show. Looking forward to getting back with uh, Uncouth on stage and doing the damn thing. It's been a hot minute. Um, so that's all the upcoming things. Looking at something that just happened... Uh, I did the Jim and Mike comedy show at CrossFit Leverage in West Chicago. It was a uh, private corporate comedy gig uh, put on by Kent Luz. Uh, I shared the stage with uh, Brennan Weaver, Dan Brennan, Luis Arevalo, and Mike Stricker, and Kent was the host. Um, It was wild. It was my first uh, like I said, kind of private corporate comedy gig. I'd never done one of those before. Uh, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what to expect from a CrossFit gym. I didn't know if it was going to be super bro or if it was going to be, uh, super stuffy. Cause it, you know, was like a private event. I had no idea. Uh, and what it was, was delightful. It was so much fun. I, uh, I was the first, uh, comic to go up in the lineup um, did the thing, you know, I, I was given 12 minutes. I did 12 minutes. I, I planned out my set, you know, I, I, I approached it, uh, as, as, as I approach everything, you know, you give me a time, I craft a set to that time and I go do it. Um, you know, leaving myself wiggle room for crowd interaction, or if I need to, uh, you know, change a bit or do something different. But, you know, I, I went in with a plan. I executed that plan. It was fucking fun. Um, thanks again to Kent for putting me on that show and everyone at CrossFit Leverage for letting a bunch of people who clearly do not go to the gym, uh, come to the gym and do what we do. Uh, it it was a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, I was grateful for that experience. Speaking of experiences, uh, something else that I just did uh, was an interview for a college study on uh, the role of comics in relation to the audience and, and other stuff. Um, and that was fun. It was fun thinking about, you know, what, uh, you know, what is my role as a comic? What is uh, my role in relation to the audience? What do I do the same or different based on different audiences? You know, a, a bar room versus a, a comedy club versus, um, you know, like a private event like I just did. Um, things like that. And then, you know, 
what role has changed uh, in in regards to you know the the audience uh, and and things like that. It was it was um, it was fun. It was a lot to think about. Um, excuse me. Um, you know, what I've I've talked about before on the podcast the the idea that um, no one is owed a platform, you know, uh, no one is owed an audience and having an audience and having a platform is something that, uh, we should be grateful for, uh, when, when we're afforded it. And, you know, I, I approach every show, uh, and, and every room and every audience the same way. I don't care if it's, you know, four people or 40 people or 400 people, I'm giving them everything I have. Uh, I want to leave the stage tired. I want, you know, uh, I, I want to leave the stage feeling like I did everything I could do on that stage, uh, to, you know, make the audience have a good time or, or not even to make them have a good time to help them have a good time. Someone who is out at a venue is there to have a good time. Um, and you know, if, if I am on a stage in front of them, it's my job to help facilitate that, not just as a host, uh, you know, like I do with Game of Microphones, but also just as a performer. And, you know, as such, my, my approach to how I do this is I want it to be fun. I want it to be fun for me. I want it to be fun for the people around me. I want it to be fun for the audience. And part of that is being inviting. You know, even if some of my material might be a challenge to certain sensibilities, I want it to be an inviting challenge. I don't want it to be a confrontational challenge. I don't want it to, um, you know, I, I never want someone to feel not welcome. And, you know, looking back, uh, like I talked about on the last podcast, the, the whole kerfuffle over the Louis C.K. comment while I was hosting and, and I got a little confrontational about it, that wasn't, you know, the vibe that I, I try to uh, bring when I'm on stage. You know, I, I was more aggressive in that, um, you know, series of comments than, than I am with anything else that I do on stage. Um, and that, you know, looking at that and looking at, you know, why do I do this and what do I want out of this and what do I want other people to take out of this? You know, again, it's, it's enjoyment and invitation and fun. And, you know, in hindsight, uh, that was a thing I did that was not fun. It was purely just, uh, aggressive and, you know, thinking about it in, in that context, you know, uh, frames it differently for me. And, you know, I, um, I look at everything relating to comedy in, in, in terms of, you know, it, it should be fun. It should all be fun. That's, that should be, that should be the, the gist of it. And, and that's what I talked about primarily in this, in this interview is the fun, you know, and we also talked about, um, you know, have audience changed, uh, have audiences changed. And I, I don't think audiences have changed other than the fact that 
they're becoming more inclusive. Uh, audiences are diversifying. And the fact that we can now get feedback from the audience, not just in terms of applause versus not applause, but also in terms of, you know, they can write a review on Twitter or, you know, uh, send a message via Facebook or whatever it is. Um, and I think that's not a bad thing because not every, you know, we're now hearing more voices and that's, that's never going to be a bad thing. Uh, the democratization of the platform, um, you know, but, uh, one of the, one of the last questions asked was, uh, about who are exceptional comics. And, you know, I, I think that's, um, a difficult question, you know, because for, for me, uh, being exceptional means you are singular in what you do. There is no one else who can do what you do in the way that you do it. And that could be naming a lot of comics. Um, you know, but I think the ones who have been afforded the, the space and the platform to become exceptional and then past exceptional become legendary, you know, that there was a lot of gatekeeping involved and not everyone gets those same opportunities. You know, the, the fact that we don't, uh, think of a lot of, you know, when, when you ask people to name the, the top legendary comics, you know, uh, the names that typically come to mind prior uh, Carlin, Murphy, um, and that's, that's typically your top three, and, uh, there's, there's so many more, you know, that's, that's looking at people who really were their hottest in the 80s and, you know, a, a bit into the 90s, um, 70s, 80s, and 90s, like, that was, that was the last, you know, set of legends. So like, will we have more legends, you know, and, and I wonder if that also relates to some of my, my thoughts on, you know, will we have rock stars ever again? Um, because there is now so much diversified platform, nothing is singular in the cultural zeitgeist because it's not one narrative shaping the zeitgeist anymore. It's every narrative. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, that was fun. I had a lot of fun doing that interview. Um, and I, I look forward to seeing, you know, what, what all comes of that. Um, something else that is happening, uh, in, in terms of, you know, we're talking about the role of, of comics and fun versus not fun and getting feedback. There's a local comic who, depending on who you ask, might be all but canceled, uh, over a comment about blackface. Um, the controversy is there is a, uh, an all black comic show, uh, that is happening and a white comic, uh, simultaneously congratulated, uh, the, the comic who was running this thing and then asked, uh, you know, can a white comic uh, wear blackface to get on the show or something of that nature. And it was meant in jest from all accounts, but it was clearly a bad attempted humor um, and ignores so much of the larger context around uh, the, the idea that there is an all 
black comic show. Um, because if, if you look at a lot of shows, especially a lot of shows uh, in the suburbs, um, but also in the city, it is not uncommon to see an all-white show, uh, and even more so to see an all-white male show. And so when you have shows that are catering to demographics outside of strictly white and strictly male, um, there is a reason for that. And the reason is, historically, a lot of these platforms have been uh, very... There's been a lot of gatekeeping involved. And so these, these um, you know, uh, non-straight, cis, white, male shows... Uh, had to kind of develop themselves and grow themselves and, and build themselves uh, from scratch. And so, A, uh, it's not a spot for a white comic, period. It's just not, because there are so many that are already available. Uh, barring that, the idea of wearing blackface to do a, a comedy show as a white performer, um, it used to be, you know, black people could not be on stage and instead white people would wear blackface. That's the, you know, the history of, of blackface and wearing blackface in a caricature and a mocking of black people. Um, so all around, not the best comment. And I, I know the, the, the comic who made the comment and I, I knowing this, this person to the degree that I do believe that heart was in the right place. Mind was not, um, which then leads to the question, is there a road to redemption? You know, especially for someone who's really just starting out you know, been doing it not even a year, I don't believe. Um, is there, you know, what is the road to redemption? And, you know, obviously, as a uh, white person myself, not for me to say, um, you know. Uh, it, and it's it's wild, you know, uh, when when, you know, looking at the, the broader context, if I didn't know this person, uh, it would be easy to be like, oh, dumb white guy, did dumb white guy thing. Yeah, fuck them. There's enough dumb white guys out there. There will be plenty more white guys to be on stage. Um, and I, you know, I, I wonder if that's uh, part of how a lot of people look at like a Louis C.K. When you see Louis C.K.'s defenders, they're like, oh, well, you don't know Louis, like I know Louis, and that's this, that, and the other, and whatever. Um, so one of the things that happened is across all of the the Facebook comedy groups, you know, for the Chicagoland area, um, was people coming to the defense of this person, and then other people saying, "Yeah, that was fucking dumb," and the fact that uh, the the comic keeps trying to frame it as. No, it was clearly meant as a joke. You're not seeing that I was joking. And, you know, the, the problem is, no, everyone sees that you were joking. The joke was bad 
for many reasons, and the fact that you don't recognize that badness is the problem. Um, so I, it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out. Um, I have largely stayed out of it uh, because, again, I'm white. It's not my offense to take, and it's not my decision to make. Um, you know, I hope for uh, the individual involved a lesson is learned from this and an attempt to uh, make amends is made. I don't know what shape that would take. That is between uh, the individual and the, uh, you know, the, the comics running the show who were hurt by the comment. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a thing that's happened local and seemed worth, uh, commenting upon. And, you know, like, like I said, I will be curious to see what the road to redemption would be if there is to be one. Um, if there is not to be one, uh, that is, a shame only in the degree that, you know, I know this is a person who meant well, um, by and large, you know, uh, but we'll see, we'll see how that all shakes out. Um, so there was that, uh, the last thing I want to talk about is, uh, I had a little depression induced mental breakdown, uh, the other night, um, looking at, uh, my life and my goals and things of that nature. And, you know, I, I am forever grateful for the fact that I am a performer. I, I have gotten the most, um, gratifying feeling from being on a stage. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, it is the thing that brings me the most joy in the world. My life is never less complicated than that five to 20 minutes where I have been on stage. Uh, 30 minutes if it's with the band, you know, but, but whatever. That, that time on stage is the least complicated time in my life. Uh, no matter what is on my mind, no matter what is going on elsewhere, that is so simple and pure because it is the, you know, like I said, the expectation between audience and performer is the most cut and dry um, social interaction you can possibly have. You are there to be entertained. I am there to entertain you. As long as I entertain you, I have fulfilled my requirements and you will leave happy. Period. End of story. That is the deal. That is that is what it's all about. I want you to forget your life for a bit. I want to forget my life for a bit. Even while I'm talking about my life. That's the, the wild uh, irony of it. But um, it led me to thinking, like, what else am I equipped to do with my life? Um, you know, and I've talked in, in early, early episodes about how I've kind of failed my way through life. Uh, everything that I have ever attempted has been um, a a brief trial run 
before realizing it was it, I'm not a fit or it's not a fit for me. Um, you know, I'm not, uh, I can't do my current job for the rest of my life. I can't do it because it is physically demanding in a way that my body will not keep up with forever. Um, I can't go back to driving forklifts because my, uh, depth perception is, uh, is not strong enough to handle, uh, doing that job. Uh, I went to school for, you know, working on motorcycles and I can't ride a motorcycle because I have poor equilibrium and balance. And so that is out. Um, you know, I, I look at the, the various skill sets that I have and, you know, the, the things that I am, I am equipped to do and also, you know, enjoy doing or am passionate about doing. And I, I don't know if performing in the long run doesn't work out to some extent or another. I don't know what I'll do for the rest of my life, you know, and that is daunting to think about. Um, you know, and, uh, I, it's not a thing I ever used to think about. Um, you know, it's only since being with a, a partner who has a career and a career path and, you know, um, has goals and is working on a master's degree and things of that nature. You know, in contrast, I look at my life and go, oh, I'm just day to day you know, figuring it out as I go along, you have a plan. I can't have a plan anymore because all of my plans have failed so spectacularly, you know, whether it's ended with me being homeless or it's ended with me being in a psych ward or it's, you know, just ended with me having to find something else to do because I'm not equipped to do what I was trying to do. Um, plans don't work for me. And so the more I'm with someone who, who has a plan, the more I kind of have to wrestle with that. Uh, so I, I had a, I had a, a little bit of a breakdown last night and I, you know, I don't know if anyone else experiences that, you know, the whole, Oh God, what am I doing? What am I going to do for the rest of my life? How am I, how am I going to make it to old age and not burn out spectacularly, you know, um, it's a, it's a wild thing to wrestle with. Um, and one that I, I try not to think about all that often, you know, I also, who knows if I'll even make it to old age, you know, the planet might die before then who fucking knows. Um, so it's just, it's wild. Uh, it's a wild thing to dwell on and to think about. And, yeah. So that happened. And, you know, I'm, I'm fine now. Uh, I had my, my little breakdown and cried it out. And now I'm good. Um, still don't know what I'm doing for the rest of my life. Uh, but I, I feel slightly better about it. So yeah, I don't know if that's a me thing or a mental health thing or a me with mental health thing or a performer thing or a performer with mental health thing. Um, yeah, leave me some feedback. Let me know. Hit me up on the socials. You know the deal. Um, 
So yeah, those were the topics of the day. Let's close this episode out the way we always do. Uh, let's bust into our recommendations. Uh, so I've only got song recommendations this episode. Um, as on Monday, I will be doing the So Emo show. Uh, I have been going back and listening to a lot of emo music. Uh, and one of the things that I've revisited has been the band AFI and their 2000 album Sing the Sorrow. And the first single off that album is your recommendation, uh, your first recommendation for this episode, and it is Girls Not Grey. It was the third, uh, it is the third highest charting single for the band um, in, in their entire history. Uh, the album was the first major departure from their previous hardcore and horror punk focused sound. Uh, you know, and, and with this album, they incorporated elements of gothic rock and emo, as well as just some straight up poppiness. You know, they have uh, solid hooks and sing along choruses. And, you know, this was the era of AFI where I started to appreciate the band. Um, and I also appreciate uh, the band's lead vocalist, uh, Davey Havoc. Um, Davey Havoc is, uh, also, uh, the vocalist of the band Black Audio, which brings us to the next song recommendation, which is the song The Vials, which is off Black Audio's 2019 Only Things We Love. Uh, this is the only single from the album to date. Uh, the, the sound of Black Audio is a, a full embrace of dark wave and synth pop sensibilities and all of the kind of lighter, uh, lighter is not the right word, um, more melodic elements of a lot of AFI. Um, Black Audio is one of three bands that feature AFI's Davey Havoc and uh, instrumentalist Jade uh, Pudgett. Uh, AFI, of course, uh, Black Audio, the other, and the third, which is a straight-edge hardcore band, Extremist. Um, and, you know, Extremist brings back a lot of the hardcore elements uh, from early AFI. So it's it's always uh, wild to see performers be able to embrace all of their interests in different forms and fashions. You know, I think uh, Davey Avick also has a, a few other bands in addition to the three that I've named. Um, you know, so that's that's always kind of cool, you know, to see a, a, a diverse performer get to embrace that, that diversity uh, in sound and in style. Um, so yeah, those are your song recommendations. And, as always, let's close out the episode with a tarot pull. Uh, today I'm pulling from the Lovely Omens deck by Keely L. And the card that we are pulling is the Two of Swords. Uh, the Two of Swords, difficult card. Uh, because it means there is a problem in your life that you were not dealing with. And your emotion has you frozen in inactivity. You are ignoring the problem hoping you'll go to hoping it'll go away or you don't know how to handle the problem or you're afraid of the repercussions if you do handle the problem but either way there is a problem and it needs to be dealt with and you need to let your logic lead the way 
because your emotional state will only keep you waffling on what to do. And, you know, the longer inaction uh, holds, the worse things are going to get. Um, so that is, uh, that is that. There is a problem. Whatever the problem is, or maybe the problem is a person, maybe the problem is a relationship, and you've kind of just been hovering in this limbo, and you need to decide what to do. You know, maybe it's a, a relationship that's not happening and you're trying to make it happen or you need to, you know, like the saying goes, shit or get off the pot. Um, you need to make a decision. Or maybe there's a friend who is, you know, uh, becoming toxic, but it's your friend, so you don't want to write them off, but they're toxic and it's a problem. You need to decide what to do. And again, um, your emotional state has not helped you thus far. Uh, so you need to look at things logically. And if you absolutely find yourself in a position where you simply cannot make a decision, flip a coin. Like legit, if you cannot make a decision, flip a coin and make a decision and deal with the repercussions after. You know, let the chips fall where they may. And at least then you will have made some progress. Even if it's now there's a new problem to deal with. Well, now at least that's still something that has happened. Uh, inactivity can be the worst thing in the world when activity is what needs to occur. So there you go. Uh, that is that. And that is the end of the episode for today. There's only uh, a few actions I could ask of you. One, you know, interact on all the social medias. Uh, at Skits Jones, S-K-I-T-Z-J-O-N-E-S on all the things, or email skitsmjones at gmail.com, or, you know, uh, write and review and leave a, a five-star on uh, Apple Podcasts, or leave a, a voice uh, message on the Anchor app. You can do all those things. Um, so, you know, let, let me know what you thought of the episode. Let me know what you think of the podcast in general. Uh, tell me to go fuck myself. I don't know, whatever, whatever you feel inclined to do. Um, just don't, you know, uh, uh, comment anonymously on Reddit. <laughs> oh, and with that, the only other action that I can ask you to do is as always and forever, keep that trash fire burning.